Hey guys, it's Abel here with the Sustainable Cell Development Podcast. And in this episode, I'm chatting with nutritional coach and author of the very successful book, Lean Habits, Georgie Fear, who is an expert on habit and behavior-based nutrition, which is an aspect of nutrition that is, in my opinion, highly underrated in fitness these days, especially with the rise of nutritional approaches like if it fits your macros or just flexible dieting, which is very much based on tracking and counting things. And while there is no doubt that those methods have been demonstrated to produce great results, the real question lies in whether they are really a sustainable long-term strategy that can be maintained for good. And for some people, the answer to these questions is yes. However, it's clear to see that for a lot of people, the response is hell no. Now, there is an obvious disclaimer that Georgie's approach, which is regulating your food intake and your body weight by adapting good habits and behaviors that are conducive to a healthy eating behavior, is not the way to get to bodybuilding stage conditioning and 5% body fat. Those levels of conditioning will most certainly require meticulous tracking and quantitative tweaking of your diet. But... As we will discuss, you can look pretty darn good just by adapting the right eating habits and behaviors and being smart about your food selection. So this will be an interesting and for some people maybe an eye-opening discussion and I hope you will enjoy it. So without further ado, let's go into the interview with Georgie Fear. So um, a couple of friends of mine asked me who I'm going to have on next and I basically the way I described you to them was that she is an expert on or the champion of intuitive eating. What would you think of this description? Would you say it's accurate? Ah, uh, <laughs> flattering for sure. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm the champion of intuitive eating. Um, intuitive eating is its own sort of thing. And it tends to be somewhat different from my approach in some ways. Um, some of the aspects of intuitive eating, which I do agree with and which I do teach my clients, include having uh, a good connection with what your body's saying in terms of your appetite and your fullness cues. But I tend to take it a step further in terms of choosing what you're actually going to eat based on a fair amount of wisdom, not just intuition. So by that, I mean, you know, knowing how much protein is is best, how much carbohydrate is best, how much fat is best. You know, sometimes my my intuition might tell me to eat peanut butter all day long. So <laughs> I can relate to that for sure. My my audience knows that I have a very deep relationship with peanut butter. So oh, really, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, it's not necessarily a relationship that I want to you know really cultivate in the in the future because um I don't think it's necessarily serving me well, but I think it's. It's, I mean, it's just the way peanut butter is, right? I love this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's interesting. You know, I had a lot of uh, bodybuilding coaches, bodybuilders, fitness experts uh, on my show before. And a good portion of my audience, and perhaps I would even put myself in this category, at least during some periods of my life, are very, you know, rigorous calorie counters. And many of these people will, you know, measure up, you know, stuff to the gram. And um, and I think this is why this show will be interesting 
uh, I would like you to give a pitch for us basically for why this approach that we are doing is not the right approach and why a more behavior-based and habit-based nutritional approach might be more optimal for attaining a good body composition. Sure. Well, the first thing is if somebody's counting grams and they like it and it's getting them great results, then I should not try to convince them to do something differently because if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. However, there's a large amount of people out there that have tried doing that sort of thing and perhaps didn't recognize that there's an alternative. Um, one of the drawbacks of weighing things out and planning things down to the gram is that it limits some of your freedom in terms of eating out. So if you were a business traveler and you needed to eat in hotels and restaurants on a daily basis, that would be a significant problem because you can't control your food to that uh, close of a level. So I do work with a fair amount of CEOs and you know, high up executives at large corporations and they end up eating out a lot. So counting grams is just not practical for their lifestyle. Uh, sec Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and I was also going to say that it just ends up being easier in that you don't have to invest so much time and math. You don't have to think about it between meals. You just you show up and your eating habits are your default behaviors. So in many ways, it, it just ends having to think about your nutrition as a project. And you just become a healthy eater who, who eats that way without much effort 365 days a year. Yeah, and, and, and I guess I should clarify that, you know, this contrast between your approach and, and the, the approach uh, of these fitness professionals and bodybuilders is not as big as it seems because these people, you know, are typically responsible for getting people into, you know, shapes that are not necessarily conducive to long-term health and sustainability. And, you know, I mean, they have to, as you know, get down to body fat levels that are by no means sustainable. And on the plus side, these people are actually not following these kind of nutritional approaches year round. I mean, they do revert back to the type of approach that you promote, which is more a body signal based uh, approach. So um, just just to uh, put a final point on this, I guess one point that I think calorie counting can be useful for people is for learning purposes. Because I think for a lot of people, it can be kind of revelatory to discover how many calories, you know, a teaspoon of peanut butter has or a handful of nuts has. Um, and I think many, many times it almost um, corrects people's eating behaviors um, automatically by tracking their calories just for a week to experience what's in food. What do you think of this? Um, Absolutely. I agree that counting for a short period of time can be a really big eye opener. And it's handy to have that calorie awareness of certain foods being higher in calories and certain foods being lower in calories, because it can help you make decisions and it can help you consume less overall. Um, so calorie awareness is a good thing. Where I think it starts to become problematic is when people impose a limit, like I'm going to only be able to eat this many. And then that leaves the question of like, what if you're still hungry? Do you just accept being hungry or, you know, do you eat more? Um, so yeah, following your body's signals will not get somebody lean enough to take part in a contest. So that's why I don't really work with those people. I tend to work with people that just want to be lean and fit. They want to look good at the beach and they want to kind of stay that way year round. So I do recommend if somebody wants a bodybuilding coach that 
they go find a bodybuilding coach because I'm not the right person to work with. I think the average person, if they improve their eating habits and they learn some new skills, you know, they improve. They look darn fit. <laughs> they look darn fit. They just may not take it to the extreme level. Um, you know, single digit body fat, etc. Yeah, and I mean, even single digit body fat at times, I mean, as I dis just discussed with a, a very well uh, respected uh, fitness model and bodybuilding coach not that long ago, if guys look at, you know, Brad Pitt and Troy, <laughs> which is uh, one of the default male role models, you can get that way uh, just by kind of eating based on body signals and, and hunger levels provided that your general habits and behaviors are in place. So I guess that's, that's good to know for people. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, just, just for people to, to, you know, get a little bit of a heads up, what is like your, sh your brief background? Like, how did you master this kind of uh, nutritional philosophy that you're now promoting? So have you always believed in this sort of approach or what is your background? Um, so my personal you know, when I started doing nutrition counseling, um, I always felt that it was impractical to tell people what to eat, um, like for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, because nobody does it. So I never even started doing that. Um, when I first started doing nutrition counseling, what I would do is uh, basically sit down and find out a lot of information from my client about, um, you know, their most common behaviors and what might be a positive and helping them health and fitness wise and which ones might be a negative, which might be, uh, you know, improving those skills might help them become fitter. And I would give them one to three things to work on before our next call and they would come back. So after doing that for several years, you start to see patterns. You know, you recognize that a lot of people are falling into the same pattern of, let's say, too much sugar or they're not eating protein consistently, um, or they're not eating much fruits and vegetables, or they're eating too much just from snacking throughout the day. So, you know, various patterns emerge. And so it, uh, it becomes easier to kind of systematize, you know? Um, so that's what led to the book that I put out a couple of years ago, um, called lean habits for lifelong weight loss. And that's basically 16 of the most frequent, um, improvements that people need to make. And I have yet to see anybody that can uh, successfully perform all of those 16 things on a daily basis and doesn't end up with a great looking body. It's just, uh, it's just a, a matter of, of fact. Right. And um, just to get, give people some perspective, when you put together a book like this, which is very heavily behavior based, um, how much is it uh, based on pure experience and how much is it actually dependent on like psychological research even that you have to carry out to put together something like this? Well, my, uh, I'm not a writer by trade. You know, I'm, I'm a dietitian, I'm a nutrition coach. So uh, I didn't, I didn't have to do too much outside of my normal everyday activities because what I do on a daily basis is I work with people. You know, I have, I wake up and I talk with people on the phone for their appointments and we talk about, you know, what they're doing and what they need to change. So I'm very familiar with the questions that pop up as people try and, you know, adopt healthier behaviors. I've been doing this for 11 years now. So I've, I've gone through a lot of the roadblocks and the hurdles and the questions. I think, mm -hmm. um, 
I already had a fair amount of this material written out as lessons that I had uh -huh. you know, given to my clients over the years. So I pretty much pulled them together, beefed them up and updated a lot of the scientific citations. So um, yeah, I'd say it took a few months of diligent work to put together information that I had gathered over 11 years of coaching. Right. Okay, so, so let's talk about your book a little bit because, um, yeah, I, I really like how you systematize these behaviors and what sort of key behaviors you need to master uh, to attain a healthy body and to look good. Um, so would you mind uh, going through the main points that you address in this book and sort of the main overarching rules and principles that are in it? Sure. So Lean Habits for Lifelong Weight Loss contains 16 chapters, and each chapter is a specific behavior or habit. So the first four are really fundamental. So I suggest that people make sure that they get those four, even if they don't ever get to the following 12, because those four behaviors really are enough for most people to completely transform their relationship with food and how they eat. So the first four things that I cover are eating three or four times a day without snacking. So that basically means eating substantial meals and not small meals throughout the day. Uh -huh. The second one is eating just enough, which is another way of saying stop once you're satisfied and don't push until you feel very full or stuffed. The last two of the core four habits um, are to eat mostly whole foods, which means to not eat too much processed stuff. You know, we all like to have some treats in there and, and that's totally okay. Nobody has to eat a 100% whole food perfect diet, but trying to keep them to be, you know, a minority is important. And then the last one is uh, feeling hungry for 30 to 60 minutes before each time you eat. So that one shocks a lot of people because uh, most diet programs don't really talk about how hungry you should feel and when. So sometimes people assume that they should be hungry for large chunks of the day. Like, oh, I just accept that I should be hungry for six or seven hours a day. And some people feel like they should never be hungry. So I think it's a really important discussion to have as a practitioner with clients, you know, about how hungry is right for a consistent weight loss without losing your mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so let's, let's talk about the, the first habit, uh, eating three or four meals without snacking in between. Um, I mean, I guess it's pretty common sense, but uh, why the number three or four? I mean, what about two meals a day? I mean, um, do you get do you ever get people who are into you know intermittent fasting or maybe they want to eat more frequent meals? Uh, what's the deal there? Sure, uh, most people that come our way are eating more frequently than that. They're usually um, you know eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then having some snacks as well. Um, personally, I was eating more frequently than that when I started to look at the research on meal timing. And we all had heard that, you know, small frequent meals, small frequent meals, eat five or six meals a day. That was just the standard advice that everyone kept repeating. <clears throat> Pardon me. But it, it wasn't particularly backed up by research. So if you look at the research, it actually leads to a higher calorie intake. So small frequent meals is perfect advice for somebody who wants to be a bodybuilder and is having a really hard time gaining lean mass. Mm -hmm. For them, it's a good idea. However, for somebody that wants to lose weight and create a calorie deficit, it's a very poor idea because it causes less satiety to have those small meals. We get the most satisfied when we have a meal that's above a certain threshold. And it seems to be about 400 calories according to some of the reviews of the research. So 
eating you know a lot of small meals doesn't work as well as if you have a, a larger meal that will sustain you for several hours before you get hungry again. Some people, uh, they do want to try two meals a day, and I certainly invite them to do it. Unfortunately, it seems to not work as well. Um, and I don't have a lot of great mechanistic uh, data behind that. It's, it's just from you know observational studies. People that skip meals tend to not do so well. But if someone is going to skip a meal, the research supports that skipping dinner would be the best idea. So, um, you know, shifting the calorie intake earlier in the day, eat your breakfast, eat your lunch. And if you want to skip a meal, skip dinner. Unfortunately, that's not how most people do it. If people want to intermittent fast, they typically skip breakfast and shift their eating later. Have you found uh, certain patterns with people that certain people just tend to get a lot hungrier at certain points of the day? Because a lot of people, I mean, I just talked to this girl at my my office the other day, and she said that she just loves having these huge breakfasts, and she doesn't really care f- about food too much at the end of the day. And I'm the complete opposite. I mean, I like eating in general, but uh, I would much rather kind of skip on food in the beginning of the day, especially because if I do get hungry, then I can kind of just caffeinate the problem away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm, I just want to eat a horse. And if a horse is actually what's prescribed for me, that's pretty convenient. So have, what have you found there with your clients? People do uh, tend to have patterns. You know, the typical pattern would be a small breakfast, medium lunch, and a big dinner. And for people that have excess body weight, there's often a lot of calories consumed in the evening outside of dinner. So kind of snacks before dinner and between dinner and bedtime. And it's it's not all that unusual for people to say that once they start eating dinner, they kind of eat until bedtime. Uh-huh. So um, that would be the most common. But I do also hear of people that, that uh, prefer to have their calorie intake shifted earlier in the day. And I think sometimes it has to do with people's activity levels. You know, often people that they wake up and especially my athletes that train in the morning, they get used to eating a fair amount of their calories in the morning. So right. it's, it certainly uh, varies individual to individual. What we aim to do is try and spread your calorie intake out over your waking hours and try and get all the food into 12 hours a day is helpful. There's some evidence that uh, getting a 12-hour overnight fast is really helpful to let your body come all the way into the fasted state. Yeah. So you don't necessarily need to practice, you know, intermittent fasting according to the more stringent protocols if you get most of the benefits just from spacing your breakfast and dinner to give you a 12-hour gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think with intermittent fasting, it is interesting because I have practiced it for years and it was always interesting that it worked fine but there always came a point which we would address later that if you go without food for too long even if you're not physiologically hungry your desire to consume a large amount of food in one sitting just goes up for some reason uh even if you're not stomach hungry you know what i mean yeah the uh the clients i have had clients that have said you know i really liked the transition to three meals a day i want to try two and I never tell anyone what to do. You know, I treat all my clients like adults, so you know, they're free to make their own decisions. Um, but I let them know what I tend to see. And what tends to happen is they lose weight in the first two weeks because they take the uh, meal size that they were eating three times today and they kind of drop one meal 
And even if they increase the two remaining meals, it still ends up being fewer calories. But then by the two week mark, those meals have crept up in size to where it's about mm. the same amount of calories that they were having before. And now they yeah. can't really seem to get them down again because their body's adjusted to um, expecting and thriving off of that many calories coming in at a time. So that's, that's one of the, uh, the, I don't know whether I want to call it good or bad wiring systems in the body that when you change how frequently you eat, your body will adjust to, uh, you know, require a larger or smaller quantity. Right. And, and I'm glad you, you brought this up because I was just going to ask whether you encourage your clients to uh, have a pretty consistent meal pattern. So whatever frequency they choose, two, three, four meals to try to have that more or less the same time to program your hunger and satiety hormones to rise and fall at those times. I do. I do. Yeah. Having a, a consistent meal pattern has been shown in, in research studies as well to help with improving your blood sugar control. You know, your body produces a more appropriate amount of insulin for the carbohydrate load if you eat at similar times day to day. And consuming food erratically has shown to been shown to be unfavorable for body composition. So yeah, we try and stick to approximately the same meal times. Awesome. So um, yeah, let's go to the next uh, rule or next habit. I think we exhausted this one pretty well. <laughs> sure. So uh, so in the book, that's the first one. You know, eating three or four times a day and mm -hmm. not snacking or having mini meals between those. Uh, the second one is actually the hunger habit. So for slow, steady weight loss, feeling hunger for 30 to 60 minutes before each time you eat. Have you ever heard anything like that before? Um, well, I heard it from you, uh, not necessarily from anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think? What did you think when you read that? Um, I thought that it is indeed a very valuable experience to learn the difference between hunger and just wanting to eat because those can feel very very similar but in fact in reality they are very different true yeah i agree completely that's what most people figure out um you know one of the first things we have to do is define hunger because if you if you want to look for something some sensation you have to know what you're looking for so we talk yeah. about physical hunger as being felt in the abdomen so in your stomach it's not something you feel in your your mouth your lips your head you know, those are all different sensations. You may have a headache or you may be thirsty, but that's not hunger. Right. So once people are like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to wait for that stomach sensation. Inevitably, within the first day or two, they recognize that at some point they want to eat, but they're not hungry. So then we talk about uh, what else is going on. You know, sometimes it's boredom. Sometimes it's just needing a break from what they're doing. Sometimes it's wanting to relax or have something pleasant. And you know, then we get to talk about meeting those needs in other ways. So you eat when you're hungry, and when you're tired, you sleep. When you're bored, you find entertainment, etc. Yeah. Um, for some people, we have to actually adjust the time window. So if somebody has not previously been feeling hunger very often, which is, is common. A lot of people, they say, well, I eat six times a day, so I never have to feel hungry. I hate feeling hungry. Yeah. So, we don't want to just throw somebody in the half an hour to an hour of hunger is a lot. So we'll just start with five minutes. Like just make sure you feel that little bit of hunger for five minutes or so before you eat. That way it's not too much and we can always increase it as we go. I'm a, I'm a big fan of just small, small steps. Yeah. And, and, and I guess I, I will try to phrase it in a compact way, 
but I, but I guess the danger in not allowing yourself to be hungry and just eat when you're you're basically just want to eat, then I mean, where is the limit? I mean, where is the point where when you just say that okay, I'm not going to eat because I don't feel hungry? Is it only when you're literally stuffed and feel uncomfortable because you haven't really digested your previous meal? So I guess yeah, it's reverting back to that natural stomach-centered hunger is is really almost like an insurance policy to make sure that you're not eating when you're not supposed to. Does does this make any sense? It does. And I'm like you, I like food. I like yeah. food. Like if <laughs> if somebody told me like Georgie, we really need you to gain 10 pounds for your your health, I'd be like, "All right. I can just <laughs> eat when I'm not hungry and that'll be great. I can I can totally entertain myself grazing on food all day." Um so I think when you add in the the desire to eat an appropriate amount for your body, then it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy food. It just means that you enjoy food when you're hungry. And at right. other points you don't. Yeah, yeah. And so, and now with this question, I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, but it's a really good point to bring this up. Do you sometimes almost have to like educate your clients about kind of like mindset and how to generally view food because as you said we all like eating and eating is fun and it's a it's a source of pleasure but at the same time it's good to kind of limit to what it is which is nourishment for your body and not really have this overly dramatic emotional relationship with food oh i talk mindset with every single client Mm -hmm. you can't not you know we're not machines if people just needed um, a mathematical formula then we wouldn't have an obesity problem. If you look at kids, you know, most of us are familiar that, you know, a kid will ask to eat and they eat until they're done and then they stop eating. They don't yeah. they don't think like, oh, I really deserve another cookie. <laughs> they don't bargain with themselves. <laughs> they, yeah. uh, they eat food they like, they don't eat food they don't like, um, and they regulate the quantity pretty well. Where it starts to go wrong tends to be if we try and, um, persuade children to eat more or if we try and persuade them to eat less so Mm -hmm. if somebody grows up um from a childhood where their parents put them on a diet oftentimes they have a heightened sense of value around food this isn't just nourishment this is precious stuff so reducing the quantity of food as an adult so if someone's an overweight adult then you know, we determine that they've got this inflated sense of value of food. We have to work with that. You can't just say like, knock it off and eat less. You have to talk about um, all the things that food means, you know, and how they will feel like their life is good enough and how they will feel like there's enough pleasure in the day, how they will uh, feel safe and comfortable um, with slightly less food. So it's, um, it's, it's certainly a journey. And, and my clients impress me all the time with, how much they can overcome fears and hesitations yeah that's that that, that's great to hear and do you almost sometimes have to nudge them in directions of you know maybe you're inflating the value of food in your mind so much because you just don't have enough adventures and exciting stuff going on for you in other areas of your life but does this ever happen yeah absolutely um usually when we talk about treats that's where it comes in. So, um, so let's round out the four, the core four, and then we'll move to treats. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Don't lose track. Okay, so we talked about 
the three or four meals, you talked about feeling hungry um, and how that brings up so many challenges, right? In mindset. Um, mm. Similarly, eating just enough or stopping it satisfied also brings up some of the, the mental colors because a lot of times people are continuing to eat for the same reasons that we talked about, emotions, boredom, um, wanting to not feel something so much. Oftentimes when somebody's sad uh, or undergoing some sort of trauma, you know, continually eating food and getting to a very full state actually does have a physical numbing effect. You can't feel uh, pain or emotion as strongly when you are just stuffed with food. So a lot of people have learned that and it's, it's a coping mechanism to overeat. Sometimes it's yeah. not that uh, deep or heavy. Sometimes it's just simply like, oh, the food tastes really good. I want to keep eating it because it's so nice. Um, yeah. or, or sometimes it's social. If you're going out with uh, your friends and your friends all drink three beers and eat the entire burger, then you're likely to drink three beers and eat the entire burger. So, um, so yeah, there, there's certainly a lot of social elements at play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, just the... Um... The, the book of uh, Brian Wensink came to mind, Mindless Eating. Are you familiar with that one? I am. He has some fantastic books. I love his stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's as much about psychology as much it is about uh, eating and nutrition. So yeah, I would highly recommend it to, to anyone. But um, yeah, let, let's get back to this, this overeating thing. It's, it's interesting. I was just going to publish an article about this, which would be titled is binge eating ever okay? And basically my message would have been, there is a large difference between going out with your friends to an all-you-can-eat restaurant and really enjoying yourself and trying to kind of mask away some problem in your life and just, you know, sitting at home, bored, frustrated, and eating from, you know, eating your, eating your rice cakes and the peanut butter. There's a large difference there. Like one is actually enjoyable and an experience that you will not regret. And the other is an experience that is, it's, it's short-lived. It's just a temporary kind of painkiller in a way. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, a lot of times people will ask me, like, is this a binge? And then they describe the experience. And the hallmark of a true binge eating as a, as a pathological behavior is that somebody feels like they've lost control and mm -hmm. that they're not in control of how much they're eating. And that's a very scary thing. You know, if you imagine being in a car and it hits ice and it starts to skid and you yeah. can't steer it, that's the feeling that uh, is often associated with binge eating, which is totally different from the very normal choice to eat a lot and feel really full. That's uh, that's normal, you know, to some degree. Overeating on Thanksgiving and New Year's and your birthday and, you know, out with friends now and then is totally normal. Um, but when it's happening on a recurring basis and where it's causing somebody a lot of emotional and physical pain and discomfort, um, then it tends to be something that their life quality improves if they stop having those experiences. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it's interesting. I actually saw something that you posted on Facebook where um, so I think it was a client of yours that said that um, she or he, he or she emotionally ate and then she accepted that it was just part of reality sometimes and then she just moved on. So is it, is it something that you put a lot of emphasis on 
to sort of um, learn to acknowledge these slip ups and just move on as if nothing happened? Well, it's, uh, there's a benefit to the, the kind of clean slate idea, like just pretend nothing happened and moved on. What's mm -hmm. slightly more effective than that is to recognize if there's something to be learned. Like oftentimes there's a pattern. So if somebody's emotionally eating every Friday night, for example, that's a pattern, which can clue them in that if they want to stop that behavior, they might want to shift something about their Friday evenings. Yeah. Um, but sometimes if you, there is, usually I'll, I'll draw a cutoff at about once a month in terms of frequency. If something happens less frequently than once a month, it's probably not a big enough deal to worry about. Yeah. Like overeating at your birthday, not an issue. Less than once a month, not going to be a major player in your life. But if it's happening every week or several times a week, then it's probably something that is going to impact somebody's body weight and health. So we would try and figure out what's causing it, what the reward of the behavior is, and if they want to do something differently next time. Right, right. So um, yeah, I think we knocked, knocked that off uh, pretty well. But okay, so, so basically third habit was eating just enough. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, yeah, the fourth one is really, really quick to, to move through, which is eat mostly whole foods. Yeah, yeah, let's touch on that one. <laughs> sure. Um, most people coming to us actually don't need to work on this habit too much because most people already eat mostly whole foods. But sometimes somebody's eating a lot from fast food drive through or uh, 7-Eleven or they're eating protein bars all afternoon because they don't bring lunch to work. Uh, or the vending machine. So trying to get a little bit more real food or home cooking or improving where they get their meals from helps. Um, I mean, the core four are really all about finding your built-in appetite regulating mechanisms and using them. And so if you successfully only eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, usually things go well, but if you're only eating Twinkies and Pepsi, you can actually still take in too many calories because your brain's just not wired to you know, regulate that type of calories coming in. Absolutely. And, and I guess uh, it would also worth mentioning um, sort of the very healthy and very nutritious, but incredibly calorie dense foods, you know, um, such as nuts, such as nut butters, such as, you know, heavy cream, these kind of things that are very healthy um, in small dosages, which don't lead to, you know, massive overeating. So do you, um, is this something that you educate your clients about or recommend that they find their own culprit foods that are healthy, but very calorie dense? Well, we, uh, when we talk about in chapter four with eating mostly whole foods comes down to basically uh, the bulk of your foods. So most of your you know, what you see on your dinner plate in front of you. And then we talk about treats uh, in a subsequent chapter. And so what we do there is we start out by tracking to get a, a feel for how many times in a day or a week a person has sugars or desserts, fried food, alcohol, or, you know, other things that you know to be kind of junky foods. And yeah. everybody has different ones that they like. Like personally, mine, my chocolate category would be like all of the marks and I don't drink any alcohol. So it would be completely blank. Yeah. Some people are the exact opposite. They want wine and French fries and they have no <laughs> desire to ever eat chocolate or cookies. So um, 
so we start with awareness, which is in itself a first step. If you try and log how many times you had sugar or fried food or, or something like that in a week, a lot of times it's a bit of a surprise. Just like you said, the uh, calorie counting can be. You know, we just yeah. do a treats tally. And people are very surprised that they'll say, you know, I didn't think I had that many low nutrition foods, but <laughs> it turns out I have, you know, a handful every single day. There's a few in there. So that moves to the next step, which is, you know, evaluate which ones bring you the most joy, which ones are really worth it, and then which ones were not that great. Yeah, and, and, and there's also a point of maybe it's bringing a lot of joy, but it's just, for example, ice cream for me. It brings a lot of joy, and I would love to, you know, sort of have it in moderation, but try to have it in moderation for me is even harder than just cut it out altogether and then, you know, save it for a Thanksgiving type of event or something because it just, frankly, it just ramps up my craving even more than not having it in the first place. So I guess there's also that point. Yeah. Well, when we do decide, uh, you know, what kind of treats we want to have, that's a great example of how, how we determine what works. So if somebody has, you know, uh, let's say ice cream and chocolate, they love them both. And yeah, yeah. they find ice cream's really hard to moderate. They want to eat the entire pint every time they open one. They might find chocolate, they're fine with a single chocolate bar. So let's say 200 calories of chocolate. Well, obviously it's going to make their life easier if they just choose chocolate more often than ice cream because they uh, want to yeah. have larger quantities of the ice cream. Um, and many people find that different foods, they kind of lead them to different portion sizes. Like yeah. uh, I find baked goods in particular, like I once made brownies and tried cutting them into like hundred calorie brownies. And they were so like these poor, small little brownies. And I, I was like, you know, this should be enough. And it was definitely not enough. And I always ate two and was often just like restraining myself from eating a third. And yeah. I think like, okay, so if I have two of these, it like just barely scratches the brownie itch. But I can yeah. have, an, you know, half ounce of chocolate and that's less than 100 calories and I'm satisfied. Right, right. Um now, actually, what I was going to ask you is that, um, you know, did you find uh, that as you became leaner or just having to maintain a, a lean physique, such as the one that you maintain year round, uh, that sort of the average, you know, kind of satiety index, as they call it, of your diet had to go up. So you had to make sure that you get more fibrous veggies and you, you know, eat less denser foods and, and things like that uh yeah there's definitely for different goals there's different sets of behavior so yeah. i never have a set number of treats that i would you know tell a client like okay you get five you know <laughs> this is not up to me i'm not gonna play god so what we do is we try and we just keep improving things by shifting them further toward leanness and at some point people will say i don't want to go any further because the areas that it tends to, um, I guess the difference between trying to get to say 20% body fat versus 18% versus 16%, a lot of it's going to be in the treats and how many treats do you have? And a lot of it's going to be in how consistently do you only eat when hungry and stop it satisfied? And when people say like, oh, I'm, 
I'm at 20% and I want to look like you, that means I need to come down at least a few percent. We'll talk about like how consistent they are. Like how many times out of 10 are you hungry when you eat for 30 to 60 minutes? Because I'm 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I'm, I'm very lean because I'm very consistent. And so I, I also don't, I'm, I'm also, how would I say this? It's not lost on me that I have a lot of advantages in that I work from home and I can cook all my own meals here. I don't have children. I have a dream job. So yeah. for a lot of people, it might not fit their life to adjust their eating behaviors to have, you know, 100% consistency on being hungry when they eat and stopping it satisfied. And they may not want to give up alcohol. Like, you know, I don't drink alcohol at all, partly because it makes me feel rotten. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, so there's no one set that works for everybody. But to answer your question, yes, as somebody wants to get progressively leaner, they they do need to be more careful with where any extra calories in, in their diet are coming from. And uh, yeah, trying to make them all as satisfying as they can. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, let's talk about adherence a little bit uh, because because well, I mean, every every sort of dietary approach has its own difficulties. I mean, if you meticulously count calories, then you know that that sucks. <laughs> let's face it. But. but but at least there is you know a numerical limit, right? It's all quantified, and you just look at your spreadsheet or whatever. And you eat according to that. Um, your approach is a lot more mentally freeing and a little bit less, you know, or a lot less uh, soul deadening. <laughs> but <laughs> it, 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 it almost can seem like you're basically walking on a behavioral and psychological tightrope. A very kind of delicately kind of monitored sort of psychological space, it almost seems like. So it's, it's easy to slip up. Um, or would you not agree with that? And and how do you help clients to stick to this, these kind of behaviors on the not so kind of, you know, on the bad days? I'd say it's more of just, uh, I don't know if one's easier or harder, or if it's just a matter of difference. You know, it's it's a skill to be able to tell when you're hungry. And it's a skill to be able to sit with that and know that it's okay and not be emotionally upset by it. Um, And it's a skill to feel when you've had enough. It's a skill to make your food taste good. You know, there's, there's so many skills. Um, And people need to learn them if they don't have them. And I think that's what a lot of people don't recognize is that they think, you know, dieting doesn't like counting calories. It doesn't really take skill. It takes basic arithmetic. You don't have to, there's nothing that you really have to practice and get better at. You just do it or you don't do it. Um, But the rewards of learning how your appetite actually feels and works are that, you know, even when something goes wrong, people will wait until they're hungry to eat if that's what they've been doing for long enough. And they, if they've built the skill of being able to console themselves in different ways when they're, they're feeling negative emotions, Whereas if it's just you and the calculator, you have a bad day and you just say, screw it. I'm just not doing it today. Yeah, I guess it, it's especially, you know, it, it can be especially challenging for people 
who are really invested in the fitness lifestyle because we don't really have any kind of other advice other than food, right? I mean, we have caffeine to some extent, you know, alcohol in some, you know, moderation, but for the most part, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't do whatever party drugs. <laughs> and so we have food and it's, it's easy to, to sort of kind of um, go into not so healthy kind of behavioral territories there. So, so yeah, and, and, and I like that you phrase it as a skill because a skill is something that you shouldn't expect to be super proficient at when you just start out, right? Just like when you try to ride the bicycle at first, it doesn't go perfectly yeah, well. Yeah, with nutrition, people seem to think that they should be able to throw 300 pounds on the bar and deadlift it the first day. <laughs> when it's really like, oh, well, if you have, if someone's completely been, you know, coming from exchanges and numbers and, you know, using their brain to like cerebrally think about what they're going to eat, it's completely different to say, hey, I want you to feel it from your stomach this time. Yeah. It's, it's completely yeah. new. So um, it's tough sometimes for people to recognize, like you have to be a beginner before you are going to become advanced, but it has a lot of advantages. And many people find that once you, once they recognize that it works just as well, and you don't have to do all the thinking and the math and everything. And for a lot of people, it works better because when they count calories, if they have leftover calories, they eat them anyway, even if they're not hungry. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, decreases the amount of deficit they could have attained. Oh, ab absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some, and another thing about the calories is that it doesn't adjust very well for your exercise activity. Mm-hmm. So it creates mm -hmm. this perpetual question of how many calories do I add on the day I work out? How many calories do I skip on the day that I just laid on the couch? You know, how do I, you know, women's uh, energy expenditure increases and decreases by a couple hundred calories, depending on the day of the month. So how right. do we factor that in? You right. know, um, it's just easier to let your body do the math and yeah. respond to it. Yeah, actually, this just brings to mind just super quickly something that I forgot to ask. Uh, what do you recommend to your clients um, body measurement wise, like, you know, weighing themselves every day or a couple of times a week or maybe some other body measurements like waist, circumference, things like that? Um, there's, it kind of depends on the goal. You know, most people, they want to lose weight so that they feel better in their clothes or they look better or they can wear a smaller size. So mm -hmm. if that's somebody's goal, then they can just use their clothes or, you know, the size. Uh, some people have a pair of pants that they try on every week or something like that. Um, if somebody does want to use the scale, I usually recommend only getting on it one time a week. Otherwise, it's too much data. And you see the ups and the downs and people get so focused on whether their weight is up or down that day that they forget to focus on doing what they need to do. Okay, um, perfect. Um, is there anything important that you feel we didn't cover and uh, worth mentioning? No, it was actually really, really fun to uh, talk through some of the basics. We got through the core four. We talked about treats, uh, the other stuff, just in case anybody's interested going, oh, gosh, what else is in the book? Uh, uh -huh. We talked more about sleep, uh -huh. about, you know, what type of ratios of proteins and carbs and fats are optimal in terms of controlling your appetite. Um, and then there's a lot of troubleshooting stuff on excuses and sabotaging thoughts and how to how to keep yourself going. So if anybody's interested, I hope they check out the book. And if they don't like it, uh, let me know. <laughs> 
Right. No. Yeah. I I, I definitely recommend it because um, this is this is a highly underrated aspect of fitness and nutrition. I mean. Um, especially my audience, you know, they hear a lot about, you know, counting and measuring and optimizing ratios and all of that stuff, uh, which, which is all cool and dandy, but, um, learning about, you know, learning to kind of understanding your body signals is, is something that is very underrated, especially because when you spent months or even years tracking and we all experienced this at some point, you just learn to, recognize your body's signals you forget what it feels like to be hungry or to be satiated like you just kind of learn to ignore these things so so yeah i i really uh appreciate that you uh touched on all these points and that you introduced the concepts of your book and yeah i highly recommend it to everybody to check it out thank you so much it's been a, a real pleasure yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And and perhaps just touch, uh, just tell where people can find you. Uh, people can find my writing at georgiefear.com. I also write each month for Strength Matters magazine, and they can find my book online at amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or Chapters or just about any international bookstore. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Georgie. Like I said, this is a pretty different approach compared to what you see from the experts that I usually have on here but like I said, I think in the long term for people who are not looking to compete and do things like that with their physique, a more natural body signal based nutritional approach will likely to be the answer. And using calorie and macro tracking will be more like an occasional tool that can be used at times when it's really needed. So I recommend that you go ahead and check out Georgie's book and get familiar with this kind of nutritional approach which can be a really interesting experience if you have been tracking and measuring stuff for a long time because, and I guess a lot of people can attest to this, you just kind of learn to forget to eat according to hunger and satiety because you just learn to ignore these signals for so long. So all in all, I hope you found some of the concepts mentioned here interesting and valuable and let me know what you thought of this episode and also please go ahead and leave a rating on iTunes to support this podcast it would mean a lot. Uh, if you watch this on YouTube, subscribe. I put out a new episode every week to the best of my abilities. And yeah, thank you for hanging out up until now. So yeah, see you next time.